Hello, welcome to Haunted Picture Palace, a chilling and chilling podcast, both meanings of chilling. Oh, very nice, I see mm. what you did there, yeah. All about film, specifically slightly haunted films that my friend Ben here and I Watcher. made each other watch. My name is Amelia. My name is Ben. So sit back as we talk you through... One of the more rubbish films we've ever covered. And I think the worst. Before we start, please be aware that Mary Shelley's Frankenstein of 1994 fame has the following content warnings. Oh, yes. Dog death, sexual assault, birth trauma, mutilation, corpses, corpses dancing, corpses on fire. Yeah, a lot of corpse. I mean, it's a very corpse-heavy story. <laughs> and uh, to be fair... There isn't an awful lot of gore here. Like, we often cut away from the medical side of things. I beg to disagree. I don't want to be able to see layers of flesh and not call it gore. There's a lot of sewing where there shouldn't be sewing. So I feel like a warning is necessary. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Mm. Fair enough. Not a lot of blood. No, and I, that's why I agree with you on the gore, but I, yeah. I actually think there's a lot of body that we don't. No, that's yeah. Fair we don't enough. see in our daily lives yeah, unless yeah. we are a coroner. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Intense clip art flavored credits. Yeah, <laughs> the title's zooming towards you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like being at the cinema. Yeah, it reminded me of the credits to Demolition Man, which is another yes, intensely strong. 90s film. Mm. <laughs> and then I put, ugh, I didn't come here to read. Uh, there's a nice <laughs> bit of exposition that's completely unnecessary of tappa-tappa typing in well, the it, beginning. It sets up very very quickly that this is a, a, bit, a bit more highbrow than your sort of standard horror film. Right, you know? right. Um, Say straight out the gate, the title is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which I think owes a lot to the success of Bram Stoker's Dracula, the previous, well, two years prior. Yes. But also is, and it is in the most part, a fairly serious attempt to adapt the novel rather than the 1931 Oh, absolutely. Until it isn't, until it goes very badly wrong. But (laughs) we'll come to that. One thing everybody listening should know about me is that I find Kenneth Branagh repugnant on every level. His skill, his his any kind of ability, his body, all of it. I just there's something about him that makes me hate. Wow. With that in mind, it should be also noted that he took it upon himself to both star in and direct this mega endeavour and also quietly and uncredited write whole terrible bits that made it a thousand times worse and then refused to take on any criticism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ken, Ken Brenner, of course, Sir Ken Brenner, as he is now, this is a weird period in his career because it's the first... The previous film before this was... Much Ado About Nothing, yeah. the Shakespeare adaptation, and it comes after a run of Shakespeare adaptations, many with his then-wife, Dame Emma Thompson. Yeah. And sort of later on in his career, he does some slightly odd things, you know? He directs and stars as Hercule Poirot in a oh, Christie adaptation. Oh, I forgot. Uh, he made Thor, <laughs> uh, the, the movie. 
But um, but this is his first foray away from mm. sort of the more theatrical side of things. When he was, you know, 1989, he did his own version of Henry V, and he was like very explicitly like the new Olivier, you know, because Olivier yes. had done that in the 45, I think, yep. mid 40s anyway, and he was one of the great bright young talents of the British stage mm. really really electrifying people were in raptures over his performances and then later on in his career you know he was quite happy playing a Swedish detective and directing mega blockbusters but this is his first step outside of much more trad theatrical things right. and I think it shows well yeah in, in a lot of ways well you'll hear all about how it shows in my scathing notes <laughs> The score is pompous but really good. I actually forgot to look up who did that, so uh, bear with me. I put that it's very John Williams-esque, you know, of Star Wars fame and and Indiana Jones and all that. Oh, I will also say that when you mentioned the reference to Francis Ford Coppola's... Oh, yes. Uh, well, yes, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this was actually originally planned to be the companion piece to that right directed by francis for coppola and he stepped back because kenneth Branagh was <laughs> wanted him to <laughs> and then regretted it because him and Branagh didn't agree at any point but he did produce um francis for coppola very produced. different films aren't they i mean sure they're both adaptations well, of like the big 19th century gothic novels but they feel very different beasts one's good yeah but it had the potential to be great <laughs> It yeah. had the potential this to be This has the potential to be great. And also the Dracula one, which we will cover on the pod at some point soon, really has the potential to go very badly wrong. Yes. And walks a, walks a tightrope sometimes extremely well. But there are lots of decisions in that one which you feel like, why did they pass? Why did they do It works. It all hangs I together. Know. But there are several points at which you think, well, goodness me, like this was a risk. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, interesting. Hmm. The music is by Patrick Doyle. Okay, not a name I recognise. Well, he did Aragon, Thor, Murder on the Orient Express. Okay, so maybe a pal of... True, of Ken's. Ken. But he also did the more recent live-action Cinderella. Oh. And Altman, which was a... That's the the one about the conductor, isn't it? I don't know. Or it's a conductor, director. Robert Altman? Yeah. Ah, right. Um, It's a biopic it's it's interesting actually it's quite a quite a, oh he did brave that'll be oh, why the, i recognize his name one. the disney one right. yeah which is the one that's not a musical <laughs> <laughs> so well done and a few, a few other bits and pieces but it is quite it's very theatrical <laughs> yeah yeah definitely. weird right but the, it's obviously had some money spent on it because we open yes. in the arctic circle somewhere and it's Nice that this framing story is here. This is from the book, so we're setting out our yeah. story. This is usually dispensed with by people making adaptations. And, you know, there's a storm at sea, and there's obviously a fair amount of money on screen here. Yes. It? So it's a, you know, it's an old trick, of course, to start with a set piece of effects. and. True, but I said uh, I quite like the chaotic the chaotic mm. action opener. It's, um, it's actually, I mean, I know it's an old trope, but it was very out of fashion in the 90s to open like that, I would suggest. There was a lot of helicopter chase right, as yeah, your opener, yeah. but not so much the peril happening. Sure. Yeah, no, it is an old-fashioned film in a lot of ways. It is. And then we get, what's his name? Aidan Quinn. 
turning up, changing accent mid-scene. Yeah, where is he from? <laughs> 1990s Jon Snow, knowing nothing, uh, with a terrible accent. Um, I did put he's actually attractive. Now, I, the reason I put that mm-hmm. is because he plays Gary Hallett in Practical Magic, the right. sheriff, or the, not the sheriff, you know, the policeman. Okay, yeah. Who comes to look for the guy that they killed. Spoilers. <laughs> And in that, I could never quite understand. I just felt like he was kind of for the mums. You know, he didn't really seem to fit with these hot, totty witch ladies. But looking at him here, he's all like bright, shiny eyed, very, um, he's a very beautiful man. And I'd just never seen him in in that light. It's only only four or five years later. I know, I know. Maybe it's the wig. There's a lot of wig in this. You'll get used to that. (laughs) Um, It's a small thing. But obviously, Frank Victor Frankenstein is seen trekking through the frozen polar wastes, and they're very surprised to see him there because we're very far north. Yes. Um, and um, when the captain asks who he is, mm. Kenneth Brenner, as Victor Frankenstein, says his name's Victor Frankenstein, and leaves a pause as if it's supposed to mean something. Yeah. To the to the sea captain. Yes. Which, and of course, it's it's not for the sea captain. It's for the benefit of us, the viewer at home. <laughs> We've heard of Frankenstein. We, you know, we know what's coming. But it's just a weird moment because, like, you know, it's, you, you feel like you should be followed by like, who the hell are you, and what are you doing here? Do you know what it made me write? <laughs> what? God, I can't stand Kenneth. Brown. Kenneth. Brown. <laughs> Weird that he's managing to bring the same flavour of ham here as in as his role in Wild Wild West. <laughs> exactly the same. I forgot he was in Wild Wild West. I can't forget. It's burnt onto my record. <laughs> yes. And I did put Star Studded. We have Ian Holm turning yeah. up. No, there's some great actors in this. Mm. And I know you don't like him, but like Branner is a capable actor who's done some good work. It's just... I think he's probably at his best directed by other people. Because that's exactly where I would go for it, and I think that's why I just I just don't like him. Mm-hmm. Because a big part of it is you need to recognise early on that you are much better in the hands of other people than yourself, and if you don't do that, you it, you're just you're lacking self awareness to such a point that we could never have a conversation. <laughs> but then, yeah, it's it's an arrogance that like I love a bit of confidence but arrogance is Ken Brenner to me a lot of it is like he's straining every sinew all the way through calm down you're not on stage no matter how much whirly gig camera panning you do he loves that I've got a couple of notes on that the motion sickness is real (laughs) no matter how much of that you do you're still overacting anyway and then directing yourself to overact, and then forcing really good actors to overact. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of well, we'll come to them. Yes, exactly. Um. So yes, we've got Ian Holm, who is Bilbo Baggins in um, the Lord, the of, Lord the of the Rings, Rings yeah. and he's also in Brazil, is he not? Yes, I think so. Mm. He's in a lot of, he's in so much of things. You said at the time, was he ever young? Yeah, I and don't think he was. No, I've seen him in things in the sixties when he's younger. But, but, still... but it's still, it, yeah. But it's a great performance, right? You know, I, I, yeah. I've never seen him bad in anything. Oh, he was in The Borrowers in the 90s when I was a kid. I'm sure that was him in the TV series. As, yes. As, um, like, the patriarch of the pod family. 
Yeah. Yeah. You've got um, Celia Imry, who yeah. my generation will know from Bridget Jones, but she is an incredibly well-renowned, <laughs> f- famous, wonderful actress. Well, she is in Britain. I don't know if she... Well, no, she was in like Best Exotic Marigold Hotel and stuff. Yeah, she? exactly. So she's probably a megastar now. But I'd know her from like years of Victoria Wood comedies. Oh, of course so you do, yeah. strange to see her here. Um, we have another terrible mother, played by Sherry Lungi. She's in every BBC drama ever and co- right. consistently playing a hot mum. <laughs> no matter what age she is, she's always a hot mum or an angry mum. It's really right. interesting. But this time we're a terrible mother because we're a weirdly flirtatious mum. Yeah, it, it is. It, it is. looks like that baby might be his. <laughs> yeah, you you picked up this. Yeah. I suppose, you know, Ian Home doesn't look like much of a romantic. But um, But still, I think it's a stretch. <laughs> oh, poor choice of words there. But it's um I'm just gonna ignore it and push on. It's it's odd this. Frankenstein's mother appears to be there to deliver some exposition about young Victor. And try to have sex with him. They're a very sort of touchy feely family. Those two are. Yeah. <laughs> the dad's not um, <laughs> It didn't it didn't bother me to be No. Fair. It bothered um, me because it felt like Ken Branner was living out a fantasy. A bit much. Literally, bit much is how I would <laughs> tag Kenneth Branagh. And then I put, ugh, graphic birth. So there's this real horrible traumatic birth scene. Oh, yes. More camera panning than anyone ever needs. And as if the father would be present, doctor or not. Well. It's, it's I did we're, we're back seen... down on it when, it when it was about, when he said, oh, he's a doctor. Mm-hmm. You're the finest doctor in Geneva or whatever. Yeah. But... I actually feel like, I mean, Ian Holm acts the absolute bejesus out of it. Mm. Him panicking yeah. during the birth scene is actually really distressing and horrible. Yeah, no, he's great. He's great, and he does a he does good work here, partly because his is a fairly background role. So he's ne- he's ne- he doesn't he's never asked to sort of come to the front and project to the back rows like some of the other <laughs> actors are. Yes, but I think he's brilliant. Like as I say, that subtle little. I can't, I can't, I can't, where he's just like freaking out mm. in the background. It's really horrible. And then he comes down and she's all dead and for some reason dies draped like a like an old jacket over the chair <laughs> and with all her bits out dear Sir Ken goes up and has a good cuddle and cry. Yes. Tries and frantically tries to bring her back alive. Mm. And it it's a strange like the the first this first bit of the film is really too long I think and and I thought and my note here you know from from watching this although I'll revisit it later is it's like an attempt to give Victor's experiments like a reason or something yeah. that like he has this traumatic death of his mother because we all know like not it's not a spoiler to suggest that no. Frankenstein is going to create is going to stitch together some cadavers yep. and bring them alive, right? It's yep. famous for it. Like everybody knows what's coming. Yeah. And it's as if the film doesn't quite have the confidence that like this is an interesting enough idea, or that like people studying medicine might not wonder about like, can, you know, if this is possible. Yeah. And so it feels the need to sort of give this backstory mm. to say, well, he, his mother died and he didn't like it, so now he must conquered death and it's one of the things that Francis Ford Coppola and Ken Branagh fell out over was him taking was Coppola taking one look at it and going 
this whole first scene needs cut, that's stupid. And Ken being like, no, it's my favourite, we have to keep it. And then it that never coming to pass. And lots of edits like that, where actually the film would have benefited from removing that whole business. Yeah, it's, it runs just over two hours, and you could certainly you could certainly yeah. trim it a, a fair amount. Yeah. The other thing that the first bit does is introduce the character of Elizabeth. Yep. That's his cousin. An orphan. Uh, and they're raised as brother and sister. And, you know, I understand wanting to give your female lead a little bit more screen time yep. and more things to do, but she doesn't do an awful lot here. We'll keep an eye on that as we mm. as we carry on. I do say here that I love Helena Bonham Carter so much, who plays the older Elizabeth. Yeah. Um, even tiny Helena is really electric. She's really engaging on screen and strange, and I've I've just always loved her. Yeah, I mean, obviously, looking at the podcast that we that we run. Of course we love Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah, She's exactly. like the patron saint of this kind of she stuff. She is, right? she is. I put, ooh, he thinks he's so hot and wild-eyed, but he's constantly trying too hard. <laughs> Someone should have told him about th- not theatre acting on screen, but then I, I assume they did, and he just wholeheartedly didn't listen to them. Well, it works in the Shakespeare adaptations, you know? True, but he's being he's framing himself as this kind of perfume advert of of masculinity and, and then not pulling it off on any level because of that extreme trying mm-hmm. you know there's there's all this bd energy thing that's very popular you know big d energy oh yeah that's very popular in the media at the moment for a reason and ken's got none of it no. <laughs> none of it and really wants to have cgi lightning how did we not kill the child is this when this, this is... we give Victor credit for Benjamin Franklin's experiments with mm-hmm. the key and the kite. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't think we give him credit, actually. Fair enough. I think we're experimenting because he's reading the old texts. Yeah. So yeah. he's, no, he's meant to be doing... That as well. Yes, he's yeah. meant to be doing the alchemy that he's found in his books mm-hmm. um, at this point. But uh, boobs out. It's 90s Georgian time. Very boobular dresses. Ah, fair enough. Very boobular. Not as boobular as, you know, some of them would have been if you look at paintings of Mary Absolutely Gwyn. not. Yeah. Exactly. But this is why I say it's it's the 90s, 90s Georgian, Georgian times. Yes, yes. Which means we have boobs out in a 90s way, but yep. in Georgian dresses. Yeah. We are not just flapping a nipple out willy-nilly. No. <laughs> no. Just the one. Who was it that had a dress, had dresses made with one boob out? There was a very famous... I don't know. Mm, I'll look that up. We'll find out. Yeah. Um, I don't know what you'll have to Google to find that, but never mind. Yeah, okay, yeah, I'll take the safe search off. Um, ooh, how do brothers and sisters say goodbye? Ooh, he's such a gross kisser. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> so do you want to take it from there? Well, it's just continuing the theme, your theme, that Victor Frankenstein has the hots for his family. Um, yes. Because, you know, crucially and... Um, important for the plot I suppose is that she's not really his sister she was just she's just been raised as his sister from a very young age so it's perfectly fine to make out with her but if but, you can't have your mum have your sister but they're in love um, young Victor Frankenstein is away to study medicine at university but before he goes he has to say goodbye to his sister and it's weird because the way that they embrace and part, it's as if they are already lovers, which they may be, but then their discussion... Oh yeah, no, I don't think they've ever done anything. ...that they are not... Well, you know, 
again, was set in 90s Georgian times, so we assume they're waiting till for marriage. But but it it does seem as I don't know they're very they're very intimate with one another. They are. But then they seem to then they're going to get married. You know, it seems yeah. to be very very sudden. And she talks um, about wanting children. Yep. And I've put, oh yeah, I'm sure he'd love to have kids after watching his mum ripped in half by one. Yeah, yeah, man's got issues. Yeah, and then I said he's a virgin who can't science, <laughs> which made myself laugh at that. But the the thing about having children is an important Frankenstein thread and idea, right? Because, yes. Because if he wants to create life, mm-hmm. Helena Bonham Carter is... Ripe and is, ready. Indeed, is willing. And, you know, he could go, he could study medicine, he can come home, take over his father's practice, and raise a little army of mini Frankensteins with with his beautiful cousin. But this is not the path that he takes. No. But it's presented there, we're still in the first half hour of the film, it's presented there as a thing that can happen. True, it's also part of what feeds my actual theory when we're outside of Ken Branagh's wonderful world of Ken Branagh, um, <laughs> is the idea that Frankenstein is a homosexual man in Mary Shelley's book. I won't yeah. go too much on about the book because we're talking about the film, but there are many hints and tips and tricks about the idea of that kind of popped in here and there. So mm. I will be bringing them back just to give a slightly different perspective. But my sort of my thoughts on the book are that there are some incredibly homosexual undertones mm-hmm. to a lot of it, including one that Ben pointed out the other day with um, that he has the opportunity to make dozens of babies with his own cousin. Yeah, well, his wife. <laughs> his wife. Yeah. But he chooses, Benny, you said particularly in Bride of Frankenstein. But so he... yeah, well, again, so this is not the, the Bride Bride of Frankenstein and Frankenstein, the 1930s yes. Universal films, which we'll cover at some point. I think they are classics, but they are directed by James Whale, yes. who was a gay man. Yeah. Um, there's a film actually about it called Gods and Monsters from nice. the 90s starring Ian McKellen. Oh, um, very nice. Which is good. But, and in Bride of Frankenstein, just very briefly, following the events of Frankenstein, where he builds a monster man, Victor Frankenstein survives that film and is at home with his lovely wife. And then he gets called upon by Dr. Dr. Pretorius, who's another man who's been experimenting with making life. And he says, come on, we'll make another one. It'll be fun. It'll be good fun. And he's drawn away from starting a family with his mm-hmm. lovely lady wife. And they end up creating... Elsa Lanchester with the very queer coded Dr. Pretorius who's a, yes. invented entirely for the film so but there's I still a very believe... easy clear queer reading of it that yes. yeah, he wants to make life with another man instead of with his lovely wife true but I still believe there's deep queerness in the secrecy in the relationship the incredibly close relationship between Frankenstein and his pal Henry Clavel. Henry Clavel, who's often emotional and spending money and doing all the things that would have been written and coded at that time uh, Mm -hmm. to be flamboyant and not in just a dandy way. You know, this would have been very clear that perhaps they weren't looking for girls, (laughs) you know. And and he spends a lot of time with him. He's very intimate with him. And then he creates a man. And then it's the man that, wants a wife it's the man that wants yeah you know it's 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 the monster rather that wants a wife 
not yeah. Victor, who could have married and wandered off at any time. Yes. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I really love the auditorium set that we go to here. I've it's incredibly well. beautiful. Incredible. The sets are really good. Yeah, yeah, they're really nice. But again, yeah, it's the anatomy theatre. Um, yes. Such a, and I, I believe it's fairly accurate as to how they would have been and were. It's incredibly highly stacked. I would suggest that that's for theatric effect so that he's more tunnelly than that because I feel like we've been to one, both of us, at Summer Hall and that would very much have been the same thing and it's really not that tubed. <laughs> no, that's true. But but it could yeah, be there. It's, it could it's, be in uh, Oxford. No, and it's, it, you know, a little bit of licence is acceptable. Certainly this, certainly the, mm. it has the basic form yes. that they would have had and it looks great. I, I also enjoyed the... Um, Staircase in Castle Frankenstein or wherever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big gothic staircase going yeah, down. Yeah, I put that it looks like an opera stage, yeah. But it is the staircase from Dracula, you said. Yes, it's very, well, it's very similar to the one at Castle Dracula in the Todd Browning. Yes. Yeah, Todd Browning did Dracula. Yeah, the one that we yes. covered. Yeah, we, 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 said there's a, they won, there's a, we have a podcast episode on it. Yeah. You've got to find it. <laughs> 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 yeah, very very small cameo from sexy Hugh Bonneville, um, yes. who's <laughs> terribly Hugh young Bonneville. here, and it's his first role in cinema. Right, it's entirely. I mean, you know, he does fine with his like three lines. Um, yeah, entirely superfluous. I believe again, he's another character from the book, who is just sort of brought on. Yeah, and say, look, he's here too. Yeah, but the auditorium set shows a very little queer man, <laughs> who turns out to be. Uh, Henry Clavel. Yes, Henry Clavel. We meet, but we don't meet just yet. Mm-hmm. We see him, and he's whispering to a man, and giggling, uh-huh. as we pan up until we get to Frankenstein, who isn't actually at the same tier. Yeah, no, he's way up in the gods. Yes, so interesting. We have um, a, a prosthetic laden John Cleese. Yes, is lurking about in the shadows, looking very sinister. And, uh, Absolutely. I will say that Clerval is played by Tom Hulse, Hulser. Yes, I, d- I don't know him from anything else. I know him from Amadeus. Ah. You know, the Mozart. Of course, yes. And he's brilliant and he's right. horrible and yeah. I hated him in a good way. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. was really beautifully played. He's a really, another little firecracker, engaging actor, really interesting brightness to him mm. that mm. feels quite genuine, even though he is brutally overacting. Well, he... You know, he should serve as a counterpoint to Frankenstein's darkness, mania and yes. darkness and madness as he's going down. The th- but unfortunately, we don't. The film doesn't spend enough time with him to really illuminate this difference. No, and it also makes him go mad before Victor does. We're about the plague. Yeah, yeah. And he he unthreads, he unravels rather before Victor even gets to that point. Yeah, it's a shame. Mm-hmm. But that I think, I think a big part of that. Is because you're fighting to match Mr. Overact uh-huh. and that it brings out the horrendous neck strain overacting moment. So you can't, there's nowhere to go after that. You're no. constantly on a hundred. You can't do the subtleties. He really tries. Tom Holcher really tries, especially when he's being sensitive. But then he accidentally does like the fake counselor face a couple of times, you know, with the head on one side, like, I care mm. about you. And it's not genuine but the bits that are genuine are really beautiful he's really likable yes yes yeah i've just written i like clavel yeah he's wonderful yeah yeah and and weirdly like i can see especially here i I can see their friendship feels like a thing that could happen and could be real because when he's not 
like busting all the stops and everything. I can see you can I can see that Victor Frankenstein could be a charismatic man that you might get. Somebody like Clavel who's a bit more in the shadows and a little bit facing might be sort of swept up. Kind of, but who him. fancies him? Yeah, fair enough. You know, who's like yeah. in, enchanted and enamoured. Sure, yeah, and... he's he's in, he's attractive in all the way in in the way. Frankenstein, Victor, is attractive in a, a couple of ways. Yes, and a, it's a rife environment for sapiosexuals. Yeah. and It's a very homosocial environment as well. It's all exactly, men learning medicine together. Exactly. And there's even a little wink when he says something. He's sort of pestering Victor to go out, I think, maybe, and saying something like, it's a, be a lovely way to get the ladies. And he looks really like he's... Like well, joking. He says, "Well, he's, he's talking about his future plans. He's like, well, I'm going to find a, find a little, a small country practice somewhere. Yes, and get with some old old women to who treat their imaginary ailments and relieve them of their cash and relieve their daughters of their virtue or something. Yes. And they have this sort of, I'm paraphrasing, but, but it's, it's a very snuffle. Like that. You know, and it's like a ha ha ha. Oh, 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 oh. Yes, definitely exactly. mean daughters. And, um, and and then Frankenstein looks at him a bit like, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, partly of course he's thinking of other things, but yes, partly but I it's think just it's like, like yeah. yeah. I was annoyed here by the idea of making Victor a rogue romantic, actually. So it's interesting that you say that Victor Frankenstein is attractive and... Uh, I mean, he doesn't do it for me, but I can see that... No, he's supposed to be, you're dead he, right. He is magnetic and, you know... Yes, yeah. but but in the book and in the idea, he's all re- he's meant to be socially inept. He's going to marry his cousin <laughs> slash sister. Yeah, and, and he's not... Like, he's not a social butterfly. He does no. spend all of his time, like, digging up bits of, you know... Exactly. Criminal. There's not supposed to be anything sexy about him. And what, what the pointless, what the, it's not pointless if I say it's got a point. <laughs> what the irritating first half an hour has done is set up that this man had morals and was kind and was loved and was good yeah. and then was a bum. <laughs> yeah. However, yeah, but it doesn't do it very well. <laughs> no, it doesn't do it very well because it's not true. Because the story is about a morally ambiguous nightmare person that didn't think of anybody but himself. Mm-hmm. Said it was too late and he'd already made a horrible thing. Yeah, like that's that's the horror of it, and they've missed the whole chunk of it and been like, nah, grief, <laughs> and that's just not going to cut it. He was never a charming man. He was. He's not supposed to be. He's supposed to be like, like weak. Yeah. Well, he's supposed to be weak, and then through the the film and through mm-hmm. what happens, he's supposed to then find some inner resolve, and then yes. that, this is what makes a tragedy, right? This yes. Is how tragedies work: that somebody is admirable yep. but has a flaw that yep. brings them down. You can't. My old classics tutor said that you can't make a tragedy about a pederast who's unable to sleep with children, because that's not a noble thing <laughs> no. to be doing. You have to. It has to be something that you sympathise with their aims and their goals but they have, but a flaw brings them down mm-hmm. it's always stuck with me that because it's horrible and Frankenstein doesn't learn anything from <laughs> what happens to him no literally nothing and so he's unable to it has to part of the thing about a tragedy is that they lose at the end right this is the tragic yep. thing but, but what should happen is he should be fighting nobly and truthfully yep. and good but he's damned himself through his earlier fecklessness or frailty or whatever yep. it may be and that we don't get that through line here no. I don't really know why and because we don't get that through line here because they've well that is why because they've set it up as a completely different flavour of story <laughs> yeah. that 
the redemption never comes. No. Which is what would normally come from a story that starts the way that Ken has started this one. Yeah. Normally, okay, for example, you'd be like, griefy, 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 process the griefy in a really horrible, bad way, process the grief, healthily, rewarded. Sure. But because he did it as griefy and then kept the rest of the story as for Frankenstein, <laughs> he then had to write a new a new bit where... It, this is kind of a tragedy, right? Where, like, I brought my wife back, but... But it went wrong. And she it, exploded herself with the firebomb. Very quickly after I brought her back alive. But yes, it's, it's it feels like he's attempted to make a, a faithful adaptation of the source material, but he's not understood the source material properly. Yes. <laughs> um, incredible costumes all round. Incredible set design all round. Absolutely awful hair pieces. <laughs> I cannot imagine why they couldn't spend... I mean, maybe they spent all the budget on the other things. Yeah, there's some, things, there's some very impressive things yeah, about this they're film. Yeah, they're amazing. But, mm, yeah. Uh, the animatronics, particularly. Um, but John Cleese has those teeth and the prosthetic chin because Ken was concerned that he, people would only know him from comedy and wouldn't take it seriously. So they made him more sharp featured. I did wonder. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that looks good. That doesn't look like he's got like a weird pr- fake chin on. It doesn't look like he's... No, it doesn't, actually. Um, no. And he is... He's... Cleese he's is right. very good in this, he's I think. He's all right. He doesn't have a lot to say. He doesn't have a lot to do. And he can't move half his face because I mean, it's not I, real. It doesn't have to be him. I don't understand why it's no, Cleese. No, exactly. But, but I can't fault what he does. Uh, again, this is another character from the book that doesn't mm-hmm. usually make it into the cinematic hmm. uh, adaptations. And that, I think it works quite well. But the thing is, he has a... Uh, so, Weldman has, had also been experimenting with yeah. this sort of thing uh, and, and put his researchers away because he didn't like what he found and so it should be that it's like a cautionary tale for, yeah. for Victor but it, but but Victor is just not is not listening he's not paying attention he's focused on his goal yeah. one thing about I'm sorry I'm talking a lot <laughs> but one thing about their discussion when they're talking about this stuff is that one of the things that Victor asserts is that hair and fingernails continue to grow after death yes. which is one of those persistent myths which of course is not true nope uh, what happens is that the skin shrinks skin shrinks and so the hair and the nails appear bigger and it, it just annoys me that victor frankenstein who's a apparently a trained medical man wouldn't realize that <laughs> he is going off the old text though that's the thing to suppose, really hit yeah. home he's going off the things that are meant to be like considered more to be like a cult and uh debunked and sure. old school stuff that was closer to magic and alchemy yes he accidentally read paracelsus and things like that exactly yes and it was to do with not having access wasn't it it was like he mm. had access to all these old texts and all the old things that his father would have learned on and the father before them yeah but actually didn't read any other modern stuff ready for class i mean yeah. we're, we're getting this from the book again it's not it's not film it's not made but... clear in the film no yeah. but... well, except for in the lecture when he's put in his place and yes uh, and the lecturer says like we're, this is a modern, yeah. cutting-edge place, and we're learning. We're doing this properly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I feel like he's probably getting it from there, and that's why the other guy is shouting over him. But we get an animated monkey paw that, for some reason, grabs onto Clevel. Maybe it's a gay detector, and uh, <laughs> he's very frightened by it. And obviously, Victor is extremely excited. The camera is swaying in an ungodly fashion. We do flash to. Helena Bonham Carter in an absolutely 
ludicrous red velvet cape that's spread all about her like I don't know blood in the snow she's meant to be reading his letters you know yes to the family the the is that that bit the yeah I think so okay she's reading is is it where she's reading out the letter to the adoring family around them because he's and he's still writing to them at this point but then yes because there's a bit that she yeah because there's a bit that she won't read out because it's all about how I didn't think that was still in the cape Oh, fair enough. I think this was just a flash to the to the the waiting bride, and I was like, "Why?" Why well, to keep her in the film? I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no! My misphonia cannot deal with the mix between extreme moving camera work and talking with their mouths full. <laughs> it. This is the three of them, the three reanimators, if you like. Weldman, Victor, and Clavel. Clavel. Yeah, yes. just chatting and not finishing their mouthful, and then. Trying to make it look natural. It, it's quite painful, actually. It's quite a painful, gross scene. Oh dear. Yeah. Well, there's some interest. you know, there's a few interesting things that are tossed in here that give you the bones for a, a well-made story and interesting conflict later on. I, I like Frankenstein's argument because they talk about God and creating mm-hmm. life. And he says, they've got out of it if somebody was sick and, and needed a new heart. Wouldn't you want to do that yep. for them? But, there's, but the, the through line between that from that and I'm going to stitch corpses together yeah. and reanimate them is never made clear no. enough for me. Um, you know, like he is fascinated by the monkey paw and so there should be a clearer through line of that he's fascinated by the creation of life. Yeah. Whereas he doesn't appear to be. No. It's just another, it's another fault. <laughs> Another fault with the film. <laughs> I know. We should have a tally, really. Um, anti-vaxxer car- cameo. Oh, yes. yes. Also, why would everyone scatter and scream at the sight of a knife like that? They did it like it was a gun. Yeah. But he can't get very far. He's a very on-crutches man. Irish man? That was, that's why I paused. It's like, <laughs> on-crutches man. Yeah. Uh with several accents, and all of them are meant to be Robert De Niro. Yeah, yeah. It took um, me uh, it took me a few goes to spot that that was Robert De Niro there. Yeah, it's a lot of, again, a lot of prosthesis. Yeah. Um, accents. <laughs> yeah, like this. I even put um, graphic body punching and gore again, which is, uh, what's his name? Victor trying to bring his pal back to life oh right yes yes because um the anti-vaxxers stabs stabs. uh john cleese (laughs) (laughs) there's a sentence um yes saying i don't want that stuff in my body and then stabs him um yes graphic body punching and gore and then haha you're a good actor robert de niro but accents aren't for you (laughs) um yes because he is hanged by a lynch mob yeah isn't he yes yes I think so. Yeah. 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 Murderer. Um, it's funny you talk about the gore because I've said I've, soon after this we get there's a sort of running gag that Henry is not very good at anatomy because he keeps passing out and he's yes. squeamish. But we always cut away from we don't see them do like the cutting open of the mm-hmm. head or anything like that. We cut away from this stuff and I think it's another indicative of purpose scene that at least at this point this is a serious literary adaptation and we're not going for like no. gross out like 
look at all the brains and the, <laughs> the, the matter. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. There is, in trying to resuscitate his friend, we see Victor Frankenstein quite fran- quite frantic. But again, it gives him another person that he's lost to yeah. death, thus making the thing with the mother completely redundant. You know, you're giving him two backstories for why he's obsessed with yep. stitching corpses together, and neither of them work. <laughs> Exposition reading aloud, which I always think is lazy. Um, <laughs> Hammer Horror Colour Palette. Oh, where? Where's this? This is. when he's contemplating bringing them all back to life. Mm-hmm. And I said here. You could cut and mix scenes from this, Quills, Shakespeare in Love, and The Libertine, and no one would notice. Right. <laughs> wow. Almost identical colours, almost identical flair, the same dodgy shaky cam, the running about in huff, you know, in ill-fitting shirts, yeah. and panting male leads you know they're all <laughs> yeah and we're all they're all in about a five-year period as well I exactly think. yeah i had the i had the brackets for the years but didn't get there so there oh, yes yeah, so, i mean i think yeah shakespeare loves what 98 yes i think so quills 97 ish not sure but it's, they're all around there but yes exactly why is there a love triangle i hate this and that is because of the mention of justine ah uh, yes right yes that's uh, Celia Imrie's daughter in this, and yes. the, the maid at the, the Frankenstein house, I suppose. Yes. Who I don't have much to say about, really. She's in love with Victor and has been for forever. Yeah. Oh, yes, and this is where uh, we, we assume that Victor is getting caught up in his idea fixé about the old cadaver assemblage, and so has stopped writing to his family mm-hmm. but Alan Mom Carter has just been writing them herself and reading yeah. them to the family because she doesn't want anyone to know that he's gone not right yeah and he, she says he's probably got another girl of course he doesn't have another girl he's too busy with his medical experiments <laughs> yeah exactly but Justine does it as like I would definitely go and get him if he was mine yes you should go to Geneva and go and find, not Geneva She's coming from Geneva. Yeah, you should go away. Yes, go to go to where he's at university. Mm-hmm. I forget where. Where yes, the plague is broken out as well. Yes. Which is why Dr. Feldman was trying to inoculate people, for which he got stabbed for his troubles. No no, keep the camera on me while I heavy breathe and brood, says Ken. Yep. And then la la lol the eels. Mary Shelley in the book draws a veil over the creation process of exactly how Victor reanimates this mm-hmm. his creature. And most theatrical adaptations since mm-hmm. go for electricity of some kind. Yeah, so there's a few things that are, it's one of the things that's sort of slightly clumsily set up beforehand. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Feldman tells Victor about Chinese medicine and <laughs> acupuncture and has, is it, does he have the eels to make the... The electric. The, the, the arm go. The, yeah. The, yeah. So there's a few things that are sort of clumsily seeded yeah. earlier in the film. But, um... He starts with a frog. And oh, I yes. put puppetry and then in brackets, hopefully, and then in brackets, definitely. So from <laughs> when it's on its back, it really is very convincing. And then yeah. when it, you see its front, it's like, oh, no, 
they've tried to make the frog have feelings uh, <laughs> in that puppetry. What an intensely graphic bodybuilding montage. There you go, I told you. <laughs> That's nice, nice pun. Like Thank it. you. Yeah, lovely. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. She's here. So, Elizabeth arrives. What's even the point of Elizabeth here, I said. Uh, we get it. You worked out for this film. <laughs> so and he did you know he he did work out for i'll give him his due i mean yeah he looks great he did work out he's got some muscles on him yeah he looks genuinely great her presence is completely stupid yeah the end she's in the film a lot but she but if you actually sort of graph out what she does and what her yeah she's probably is. got about 25 lines in um, the whole f- in two and a two and a bit hours well yeah she has she does have a, a little bit more to say but none of it is any all of it, almost all of it, is superfluous to the plot. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame she's just in. I understand the impulse to give to beef up the female characters a little bit and give them more to do. Yeah. But you have to actually give her something to do plot-wise as well. It's not not just enough to put her on the screen and go, look, it's on the bottom counter. She's wearing a pretty dress. No, I know, I know. Mm. But that's not what happened, was it? It was, no. here's Hannah the Bottom Carter, I want her more than I want my wife, let's get her in this film. Yeah, I've said earlier, I've said in here she's very much in the Emma Thompson role. Yes. Um, in more ways than one, as it Yes, happens. turns out. Um, Whoopsie doodle dandy. Yes. We'll get to that later with a sex scene. Um, I said here, that's mm-hmm. a cracking six pack, but still, why are we shirtless and how have we built this? Yeah. That's a good question. What have we built this one? When were you soldering? No, I, I didn't see any. You know, we got a montage of you, I don't know, trying to look attractive while electrifying a frog, but we didn't <laughs> get anything from you welding or building or no, ordering. <laughs> I really enjoy actually the set design here. It's, a it's brilliant really sort of interesting. It looks very steampunk. Um, sort of, yeah, exactly. Um, obviously, it owes a debt to the 30s film adaptation, yeah. but then. They, they all do following that. Yeah, and know. also anything Tim Burton had ever done up to that point. Yeah, Tim Burton has seen all these films as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I suppose this is the like big centerpiece scene of the movie, isn't yeah. it? Where he um, tr- is st- stitched together some criminal bits. Yep. Including presumably the fellow who shanked his old pal Dr. Weldman because they've got the same face. Yeah. Uh, or rather they've got the but same actor inside them. <laughs> Weldman's brain. Yeah. And it's like, I'm trying to make this guy come back, so let's use his brain. He's very yeah, clever. Very clever. Um, I guess overacting is sweaty work, I've put here. Yeah. <laughs> All those eels get really hot and spicy and then we produce the creature. And With him screaming, live at it. <laughs> And it's alive, which is also he doesn't say Colin it. Clive's he does, he does, he does. When when it when, oh, does when he? he does come. Oh, I was looking out for it and I missed it. And I've sit here. Branner and De Niro are both incredibly garlanded actors, and as the climax to the centerpiece scene of the movie, they both writhe around in wallpaper paste for far too long. <laughs> yes, I agree with that. Which sub sub note, which somehow awakens a sense in Victor of the awfulness of what he's done. Subnote again, but he does not seem the type to worry about that. Yeah, I just put, why does this slip and slide scene exist? <laughs> Which is the same question. Yeah, yeah. Is the head injury to imply that this person would have been perfect had he not bumped his head? I wonder about that. And if that's the case, why did Elizabeth come back without all of her brain? You know, being a bit like, woo, well, what is Victor? Well, I don't think Kenneth Branagh thought about that. Well, no, I think that the head injury is is possibly there to suggest this. Ah. Or to, 
I do think that's a deliberate ploy to make you wonder about that. Got you. But I don't know if they had a well-thought-out answer, especially as when we meet the creature later on, he's a very erudite and thoughtful fellow. Yes. Which is one of the things that I... I I know we've been very harsh on this film, but it's one of the things I like. I think it's a big strength of it is... De Niro as, as the creature. Interesting. And this is, we wait until halfway through the film to bring him in at all. Yeah. Which is, again is weird, really. Yeah. Because is young Victor Frankenstein before he's built a monster, is he that interesting enough? I mean, Brenner thinks he is, but yeah. I'm not convinced. Hmm. Who is he talking to, lol? <laughs> is this when he's running around going, live, oh, live? God. No, it's after that. It's uh, just right. him monologuing right. to nothing. And no one. Uh, honestly, he drives me nuts. Nice coat. Very good coats all around mm. here. Yeah. I put that mob turned fast. I'm not sure which mob this is. But there they go. This could be the post-cholera mob. Hmm. Could be. They certainly... Um, I don't know who that is. They certainly turn on... Justine. The, the Justine, yeah, but that's later, yeah, surely. Yeah, They turn on... Because they all think that... The creature has got cholera because he's got like all the misshapen, oh, ugly, yes, that's what it is. stumpy face. Yeah, De Niro is really, it's this real physicality in the role as well when he's yeah. sort of walking like somebody who's stitched together out of a few different. Yep, and he's got one hand people. bigger than the other. Yeah. It's really nicely done. Mm. Um, why does soup always look so terrible in films like this? <laughs> I like soup. They always make it look awful. I love a bit of soup. You know, I love soup. It looks terrible in this film. Yeah. Um, Helena Bonham Carter and Branagh, their love is so unbelievable. They run into each other's arms. They're all very excited. She's like, come back with me. And he's like, I all right. Yes, I've done a terrible thing. He suddenly has this idea. He looks at his monster sort of chained up yeah. and, and, and suspended. And uh, he looks back at Dr. Feldman's notes and is suddenly revolted by the yeah. thing. that, the, But... It's just not. I don't know why he's revolted by it now. No, me neither. I mean, there is like, there is an element to which he's quite horrible. But like, you should have seen that when you were yeah. stitching him together. But also, given his yeah. thing about bringing people back from the dead, it's it's never made clear enough why he doesn't just try and like reanimate re- a body, reanimate a body, rather than do this yeah. hack and slash and stick back together yeah. again business. And there's a there's a weird thing where he says. I've just said here the idea that the creature is evil because it's made of criminals. Yeah, right? he so says weird. something about like, oh, what, what was I expecting? Why do you think? Uh, it, like, it's just chucked in there as the idea of a sort of like genetic evil <laughs> in some way, which no, 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 that that it's it been I guess, but more that the body remembers is the idea. Right, the body yeah. remembers what it, how it used to be, how it its nature. Yeah, um, yeah, strangler's hands and all of that. Yeah but doesn't actually make any sense. So, not not many things do in here. Um, and yes, and the monster has had away with his beautiful coat and inside the coat is his journal. Yeah, but it's all right. The monster can't read. No, we're fine. We're totally fine. He just eats bad soup. Then we have this side quest moment with Richard Briers. Yeah, I like Richard Briers in this bit, actually. There's some nice work here. Yeah. Now, this is a feature of the novel that the creature... Learns how to read and write by yeah. spying through the wall of a little cottage in the in the forest. Yeah. Which, it doesn't really work. 
Like, it doesn't make really make a lot of sense. No, because nobody in that cottage would be able to read at that time, let's be honest. And it's a rubbish way to learn, you know, by yeah. squinting through the world. However, I give this film a bit of a pass because that's not their weird plot. No. That's Mary Shelley's weird plot. It is the weak part in her story. But they also allow more time to pass than she did. Plus, like... It's an allegory in a lot of ways, you know. Yep. Like, you don't don't worry about that. That's not the important thing. <laughs> but there's some interesting stuff here because the family in the cottage are worried about the winter, and they can't. Yeah. Uh, so Frankenstein's creature. I don't want to call him the monster because oh, no, you don't. he's not monstrous here. Sees that they're in distress. Yeah. And does all the work for them in the night, and they think he must be the good spirit of the forest, which I really love. I really love that, actually. Um, it's a very sweet detail that they leave him presents and things as the spirit of the forest. Yeah. But that he's a real person with feelings. Yeah, the story's a morality tale, but it's only partly about overreaching science and playing God. It's also about how we treat outcasts mm-hmm. in society. You know? And Richard Bryars and Robert De Niro get a, a really nice scene together here. Yeah. Richard Bryars, as the grandfather, is blind, so cannot see his mm-hmm. horrible, ugly mug. I did put that none of the family felt like acting that day. <laughs> and there's strong Next Generation vibes <laughs> from them as extras. The spinning camera pan is absolutely exhausting. Yeah, he loves this movie. He does. And he does Ken. a lot of this kind of three-way chat between his wife and... Between Elizabeth and Clavel. Inviting him to stay with them or some sort of... Well, they need a, yeah. They, yeah, they need a, a partner for the practice. Yes, and I think it should be you, and that's great, and this is lovely. And then all of that, and he says, oh, you can make a note of this magical day in your journal. Yes, journal, journal, journal. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, because Ian Holm gets, and again, this is, then you suddenly understand why, because Ian Holm gets this wonderful scene when Victor's going off to, to study. Yes. Or he, he presents him with this journal, he says, yes. your mother wrote, I forgot. this yes. is the journal of Victor Frankenstein of, of Geneva. Geneva. Uh, and the rest of it is blank. And he really sells it. Yeah. And it's a cracking bit of work. Yeah. Because he's not, like, On grandstanding. Yeah. And, and And because it's so well done, it doesn't... There are a few bits that really stand out as, like, oh, this will be important later. We'll put that there. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, you know, obviously this is the journal that he's talking about because then he realises he left it in the coat that's vanished with his creature. Yes. So I put... Robert De Niro appears to be waiting, not talking Italian, but very quickly reading. <laughs> 90s Italian football rolling. So a baddie comes to town uh, or comes to the house where the grandfather is, mm-hmm. uh, threatens a small child who then runs away and he's finds a, out nothing he's else. He's a landlord, so, you know, obviously he's a real baddie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And a stuntman falls to the ground as Richard Pryor's, which <laughs> yep. is fine. He is blind, as I, as we said. What's the name of the Welsh dog? Wait. It gives me strong vibes of the Welsh, and there's lots of different cultures that have the same story, but specifically the Welsh one called uh, The Legend of Galert the Dog, which is about a very faithful dog who was left in charge of looking after the shepherd's baby in its crib, and... The wolf came and went for the baby. So the dog, like, kills the wolf. They have a chat in the Mm. legend, but, you know, like, (laughs) the dog kills the wolf to protect the baby. But in doing so, he hid the baby to protect it more. Mm -hmm. 
and then attack the wolf and when the shepherd and his wife get back get home they find the dog covered in blood and no baby because obviously the baby's been hidden so they assume that he's eaten the baby and they kill him immediately then they find the rest of the corpse of the wolf then they find the baby hidden safely and they go oh no and they go oh no we've killed my best friend so that's the vibe I get from this from the the misunderstandings with beating the creature yeah driving him from the home yes exactly and assuming that he has hurt their grandfather yeah but then at least there is the detail that it appears that the creature has killed their landlord yeah which is explains why they have to leave because otherwise yes, the grandfather would say like what were you doing he's the he's been helping us he's a good guy yeah. he's just really quite disfigured yeah but they have to go anyway because of this corpse that they've been left landed with it's you know true. and this is what i mean when i said people give good performances when they're allowed to because he because that scene with Robert De Niro and Richard Bryce, and Richard Bryce really like standing shoulder to shoulder with Robert De Niro yeah. and giving. You know why? It's good. Why? He's not in the scene. What do you mean? Ken. Oh, Ken's not there. Right, no, yeah, so he can Ken's focus not on. There to amp up yeah. the ridiculous overacting, and he could actually focus on directing for a yeah, minute. Yeah. So it might be that he's a good actor and a good director. But just he shouldn't be doing the same thing in each film. Yeah. But the thing is, it's then, because it's then immediately undercut by turning to the camera and bellowing, Frankenstein! When he burns down, when the monster burns down the house. I say the monster because he, you know, goes all Frankenstein's monstery for a minute. Well, there. I will say before that, we have some really heartbreaking monster sobbing. Yeah, and when he's trying to read the journal, I will say there is a picture of his penis, and then written above it, massive girth, in script, written in the journal. So obviously Frankie's got his mind on the eyes on the prize. Yeah, Um, the on-location snow stuff does look expensive. I wondered where they were, and then yeah, as you say, Frankenstein shaking fists at the universe, being an unnecessarily terrible line for him it's, while a, it's a shame because the scene before that that said it's real really good really strong yeah really nice and it's 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 nice to see him see shown some kindness yes because, uh, this is what i really like about the thing that i like about this film is all to do with the creature and how he's how he's portrayed yeah. and how he's treated yeah then we go to justine She's always the bridesmaid. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. So Frankie's returning home. I think Elizabeth might beat him home. Or yes, something. I think she's there. She's yes, because there. yes, because he turns up and everybody's uh, when when Victor turns up. Yeah, they're not doing well. He's not doing well. But I said that child. So um, sorry. What's his face? Frankenstein's yeah. given Elizabeth a locket to say. I'm gonna marry you. Here's a picture of my face. Yeah, here's a picture of me looking because he's cheese uh, Frankenstein. No, because he's Kenneth Branagh. And I said the child is immediately irritating and drops the locket. Uh, just of course, just, yeah. just straight away. <laughs> and then a bottom Carter screams for Willie. Never not be funny. Um, wigs off. It's time to Willie panic. So there's a lot. There's a You're long time. You're getting a lot of mileage from I'm this Willie joke. Willie joke. Yeah. Um, wigs off, it's time to willy panic. Just, It's just so great. <laughs> There's a title for the episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, this whole bit is really actually horrible. Bit, poor William. Yeah. 
I don't like it at all. It's really sad. Like well, it's because Helena Bonham Carter really sells the screaming. Like she's yeah. really panicking, and even worse, Justine, who for some reason goes for like a hay ride. Um, yes. In the yeah. middle of this, I don't know. I think she's sick or tired or something. Just overwrought. Yeah. Just so all, tired. All too much for her. Rolls around in the hay. But it's. I think it's what's notable as well is that we don't see Williams end. No. He just comes upon the monster. The creature yeah. playing the flute. Yeah. And then he's frightened by him, and then we cut away, and the next we see of him, he's... Uh... And then he runs away. Now, I don't actually think that the mon- the creature killed him. Right. I mean, he does own up to it later on. Yeah, but he says it in a way that's... <sighs> it's just trying to get to him. Like, the... Yeah. The, the creature doesn't move very fast, and that kid really ran. There's no yeah. actual way that he would, like, chase after him and win. Fair enough. I'm just saying. <laughs> anyway... um. Helena is such a really good actor. It didn't need the strings, the lightning, and the screaming, but why don't we all go for it? Well, it's gothic, gothic horror. Absolutely. Um, uh, she found him. And he's he, she found him, and it's really sad. Yeah. But everyone gives great acting, so, yeah. <laughs> in inverted commas. Celia Emery, she's dead good as well. The next yeah. day, she's like, find my girl. Like, we ended on bad terms. I'm not having it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, she... She sells it. She does. She's really sad. It's really heartbreaking. She's a very good actor. Then there's some strange capography uh, <laughs> from the police who knock on the door and say, is this yours? It probably is. It's your face and you've been putting them all over town. Yeah, yeah well, we see <laughs> the creature drop the locket yes. on the sleeping form of young Justine. Justine, thus framing her for the murder, right? Well, we assume. Yes. yes. Yeah. What a wake up for Justine. <laughs> and her screaming, he's so tiny, is really horrible. Yeah, it's good though. It's amazing. She does such a good job here. She doesn't get to do much in the rest of the film. No. She's meant to look a bit put out and a bit like she's in love with that absolute poser. Narcissist. She's, yeah. very, she's very pretty. You know? She is, I know. Yeah. It's a really horrible thing. Her panic is terrifying. Her panic when she looks over the edge is absolutely terrifying. She's just a really good actor. And then the horrendous weight to her body when it falls is yeah. really just too much. Mm. Um, and yeah, and again, you get Celia Rimri frantically clutching at her her ankles as well yeah, as she dangles Yeah, and then people there. dragging her away. Yeah, yeah. Not letting her... It's, it's a good... It's a really good set. There's lots of extras there as well. Again, they've chucked money at it. Yes, it's amazing, but it I've happens it well. very quickly as well. Yes, it's, it's a strange. lynch mob. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean it's it's a good thing. It's, yeah. It's too quick for anyone to, you know. There's even the person there saying this is a this is illegal. This is you yes. cannot do this, yeah. and it's with violence that I mean I cannot fathom, on any level, why that child would get that response from the village. They wouldn't care. It's a wealthy mm. child. Yeah. From a wealthy family. Yeah. And they didn't know that each other, but that's fine. That's Maybe true. he's the but, doctor but also for everyone. A, and, you know, child child murder is particularly unpleasant for uh, even yeah, then, you know. True, true, true. true but true. yes, it, it, yeah. Oh, Claude's a hottie. That's just a side note. And then I realise he looks like Ben. <laughs> oh, what can I say? What can I say? Incredibly, incredibly gorgeous, full length, fur lined riding jacket on Ken. <laughs> and I put even on this guy, that's gorgeous. Is this where he, this is where he turns up, is it? And everyone says, "Oh, hello, everyone! It's so hey, nice to see you again." And everyone's standing on the yeah. Everybody's standing on the steps, looking like death. No, that's not that bit. This is where he's like, "I'm going to go and find the beast." Ah, right. Yes. So he's got his best Arctic jacket on, but it happens to be an incredibly beautifully cut 
Georgian number. Mm. Mm. Is this where they ha- they have their confrontation on the Sea of Ice? Yes. I get strong Caspar David Friedrich vibes from the this nice. setup. It's very sublime. Yes. It's very 1790s, actually. It's very, very period accurate for when it's set. Some good set work, good set design. Yeah, apart from the falling down a tube business. That's strange, yeah. But, <laughs> you know, again, it puts you in this sort of slightly liminal space, I suppose, for, yeah. the, for the confrontation between creator and creation. Which is a strength yeah. of, this, of the film, but it reveals things about our nominal hero that I really like this I really like De Niro's performance here I really like the creature mm-hmm. Ask it. I really like the things that the creature thinks about which yeah. is he says that he can play the flute and he's like yes. how do I how do I know this where does this come from Yes. for me it's like I've learnt it but I've also sort of remembered it same with the speech I guess yeah. that's the loophole of like that's how we managed to learn how to read yeah well he says not things learned so much as remembered In, yeah. indeed you know, where did this come from? Who were the people who made me up? Do I have a soul? Did you leave that part out? Yeah, yeah. And Frankenstein hasn't thought about any of these philosophical questions. <laughs> and I said Victor is weak, but not weak enough. He keeps trying to make things up. He keeps trying to sort of have retorts, and yeah. you don't get to retort. You created yeah. a thing without a thought for the responsibility of that. Yeah. Um, and then looking suddenly... at you, every parent. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but again, most parents don't. Even if they go, oh, goodness me, we've. Most of them don't. Then just leave it to die in the street. No. Um, no, I know. Grotesque or not. But you know, the creature says it contains boundless love and boundless rage, and if he can't mm. satisfy one, satisfy the other. But it makes him a more sympathetic and interesting creature than a character. Than Victor, and that. <laughs> that's true. I think. Yeah. And that's that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Especially since you know Victor is still not owned up to anybody else, or he's done. I think. No. I put that. There's a lot of running involved in this film. Mm-hmm. You know. Everyone runs to greet each other. I just feel like they'd all be exhausted. The women are wearing yeah, corsets. Yeah, There's no running yeah. for them. No, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth is clearly written by 1994. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I said, uh-oh, wheeling out the old lady maker. So the reason <laughs> we're... Luckily, he had shipped all of his cadavers splicing and revivifying equipment back from his <laughs> loft, you know, to his sleepy doctor's practice in Geneva. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. he's agreed that he'll make... A bride for his creature, mm-hmm. and his creature offers a good deal, you know. Yeah. If you learn, we'll go north, far away from where anybody else will, 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 will see us. And um, Elizabeth, when written by nineteen ninety four, she makes outbursts about his worthless promises, because he says a promise. I can't remember what did he promise her this time. Uh, I don't know. Can't remember, but she, but she points out that like you promised to give up this work, you promised yeah. to cover, and your promises mean nothing. And she's not; she's got a point. Yeah, I will say when he's digging around in the graveyards, the gravestones do look old, and that's a an oversight. Oh, they, yeah, because you don't want the old ones; you want the new ones. Oh, I like that. No, I just mean that they'd be brand new because most of those graves in that style oh, are from seventeen something. Yeah. So there's no good having so, yeah, like well weathered. <laughs> yes. Yeah, three hundred no, year old. Good grade. point. I hadn't noticed that. Yes, yeah. but also yes, if they are that old, you don't. There's just going to be bones in them. Yeah. It's because I constantly look out for the book props. That's why I <laughs> noticed the grave. Honestly, it's because I'm always looking out for it. Going, books wouldn't look like that. Yeah, they'd be new. 
Yeah, my, my next note here is Victor is a coward and a fool. Yeah. Um, because he's agreed to make a he's agreed to make a wife for the creature. Yep. And and he sends the creature out to get the raw materials and he brings back Justine. Mm. And in their confrontation earlier, Victor had told the creature that the people that he was made from were we didn't think about materials, it. Materials, materials, nothing more. Nothing more. Mm. So then when when Justine. The, when Justine when when he presents him with the body of Justine and says make her make him out, make her out of that I mm-hmm. like this one he's he's disgusted with it and he says the material is nothing more and of course Frankenstein's reaction shows that that was a lie yeah uh, but that he doesn't instead of instead of this being a moment for reflection and for yep. learning and for growth he just has a strop and decides to run away idiot. <laughs> so I did in the scene where she's like you always lie yeah I've put that he's in full in full white Jesus drag next to the crucifix and <laughs> yeah. then eye roll yeah but I will say his deeply believable crying one made me fancy him for a second and I need to look at that with a therapist <laughs> but, but two I was like oh you can act He's, you can. Yeah. Right under there, you actually can. That wasn't like Disney sobbing with one arm on the bed, flopped down yeah. to Alan Menken's strings. No, that mopping was, your brow with, exactly, a, with a handkerchief. That was actually like, he looks like a broken man there. Mm. And I'm like, Pet. again, I need to look at that with a therapist, but like, <laughs> that's really... <laughs> You're like him broken, Apparently, dude. every time. But, yeah. The weird thing about some of these scenes is that we, we've seen like the prologue here. Yeah. And we know that he's not destined for wedded bliss and no. and domestic bliss with Elizabeth, but we still have these scenes in here as if he is, which is fair enough. It's just odd sometimes. I'm okay with it. I think again that's trying to make it the tragedy. Yeah. It's like look at the opportunity you had here. Yeah. That was your point to to jack it all in and stop crying in a church. So, even though you were very clearly warned by your creation, if you deny me my wedding night, I will be with you on yours. Mm-hmm. You know that seems like a credible threat it's from also, somebody to whom you have an obligation. It's also pretty homosexual. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask? So, so basically, she's like her response to seeing she's obviously got the same issues I have. Her response to seeing him cry is like, "Marry me so we can bang." And then tomorrow. You can tell me all about this. Because yeah, he exactly. says, if I tell you what's going on, you won't want to marry me. Yeah, and she'll be like, marry me anyway. Marry me anyway. And, and then, then it'll be really difficult for me to leave you when it turns out that you made a body out of people. Yeah, or a person out of bodies. <laughs> a people out of body. <laughs> <laughs> I then put, hang on, where is it? Because I made myself laugh again. The creature killed the dad. Yeah, well, he's... Out for vengeance. He's out for vengeance, exactly. Like um, I put our oh, caring Claude as well, who was like, don't worry about it, we got this. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Can I ask, it's your wedding... He's like, oh, it's your wedding night. Go on, I don't know, give her one from me or something. Yeah. Um, but he's nicer than that because he's caring Claude. Why would... If you... <laughs> so, Ben. Yes. Oh, no, you have a sister. But imagine for a minute you don't. Okay. And now imagine that your sister is your orphan cousin. Right. You've been really close your whole lives. Uh-huh. 
you finally decided to take the very unnecessary plunge of becoming lovers instead of siblings. Yeah. Do you then mention brother and sisterness just before you're about to have your first wedding shag? Maybe they're into that. You know, maybe oh, it's part point. of their thing that they've enjoyed the transgressive nature of their relationship. Yes, that's a good point. There and is I'm no, not here to kink there's shame. no kink shaming here, nope. but I just wondered if that would be something that you brought to the attention of the shaggy. I mean, it would definitely not be. I did put interesting colour palette to this scene. It's entirely in flesh tones, and I'm down with that. I feel like that's a way to make it a sensitive sex scene rather than a, you know, a rut in a stable. You know, it's yeah. it's got a real nice vibe to it, and I said it's. Actually quite ITV period drama hot and you wouldn't want to see this scene if you were watching TV with your mum. No, or if you were married to Kenneth Branagh. So there is the element Oof. that, of course, at this point, <laughs> Kenneth Branagh was married to Emma Thompson. Yeah. Dame Emma Thompson. Only person ever to win Oscars for acting and writing. And um, Don't look at me. You know I hate her. I know her. you hate her. <laughs> uh, she, you know, wanted her for this film and she didn't do it for whatever reason. I don't know why. And during the making of this film, he fell in love with Helena Bonham Carter and left his wife to her and they were together for five years or so, I think, two of them. Deeply awkward. Um, But but at the time, he was still, you know, married to this other woman and they were a real, like, power couple of the British film industry. And then, because I said he wrote, directed and starred in a bedroom scene with the woman he left, Emma Teeple, and then I scribbled out wrote because he didn't write it. But then you said... He was a... He was... Uncredited rewriting. He did do some writing, so he might have written, directed, and starred a bit. Where he's like, "Yeah, I want to, I want to do the, I want to do horrible things to Helena Bonham Carter. I'm going to put it in the film." It's a bit odd, but it is kind of hot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the recorder that they hear, the flute. Oh yeah. Um, sounds like Moon River. I don't think it's <laughs> deliberate, but it's very similar. It's like, oh, that's kind. Also, plot-wise, like Frankenstein does a real dumb thing here, which is leave Elizabeth yeah. alone in the room. And saying, like, "Oh, don't do that," you know. Yeah. You, you might have guessed. Now then, here's where the film gets done, and then never redeems itself. It's a, so re- enjoy. It's a real shame. For well, me. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I know it is for you. Yeah, but after Moon River, um, Elizabeth's alone in the room. The monster turns up, rips her heart out, sets on fire for no reason. Well. Things, from this point on, things get very flammable in this movie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he literally rips her heart out with his yep. bare hands and holds up no this like, beating heart. And, and it's, it's really comic beating. booky and weird. Yeah. And for a film that doesn't really go in for gore very much until now, it's really jarring and out of place. Yeah. And I don't I don't understand what, what was going on. <laughs> and then what's his fetch? He, he sort of... The, the rest of his men attempt to chase the monster out of sight while there's mm-hmm. a bit of a fire going and Victor Frankenstein rides off into the sunset with the the sort of draped in his wife yeah his very new his very, dead, very wife. dead wife um bumps into Henry Clavel mm-hmm. is that his name Cla- Clavel Clavel bumps into Henry Clavel who's like well your dad's dead and you should leave this alone and I was like oh what a way to find out yeah you know like I I was here literally my one job was to look after dad yeah and who was grieving the loss of his tiny son who was the thing that killed his wife you know like yeah, yeah. all of this stuff and I don't mind the red cape as a trail it's it's meant to be like trail of blood right mm-hmm. so the red yeah. blanket that she's in yeah is a good melodrama moment up those opera stairs yeah but as he's going up there 
they, uh, him and Clavel have that confrontation yes, yeah. where he says the dad's dead and they have nothing left to lose and Clavel says nothing but your soul right which could have been powerful but it's not developed because Frankenstein clearly doesn't think about souls no. as we've seen earlier from his confrontation with the, like, no. The, no indication that he's ever been bothered by this so that big what, what is delivered like a big line and a big like significant like bum, bum, yep, bum, bum, yep, yep. doesn't have any weight behind it because they haven't done the work no. which is a shame <laughs> poor Helena Bonham Carter gets tossed about if that is actually her it might be a rubber model did he really actually just put Justine's heart into Elizabeth is my question that uh, maybe yeah it seems I mean well they both loved me so I might as well well and I was trying to work this out because you're looking at where like the stitch like so yeah. like she's got like her hands are stitched onto her yeah, there's no need wrist. for that. So then was he just was it just like, oh, Justine's hands were actually better than my wife's. Oh, that's so. quite nice. Or whatever. Oh, actually, I've just thought that that might be to connect some veins or something. Right. Because arteries in the wrists, arteries maybe. In the, yeah, yeah, and it could be to do with the old Chinese medicine thing. Of, yes. Of points and... But we're making a lot of excuses for a lot of <laughs> underthought stuff. I said earlier as well that this is up to that point there was a fairly decent adaptation of the book, fairly yeah. standard. This is completely off the rails. <laughs> yeah, we've left Mary Shelley far behind. Mary Shelley did not entertain this sort of thing. No, she wouldn't. She wouldn't have been okay with most of this. No. Lol, this last thirty minutes is abhorrent. <laughs> um, back in the wedding dress you go, and then I've put when no one is around you say, "Baby, I love you." Why have I put that? I don't know. Do you know this line? No. no one is around you. Say, baby, I love you. No, what's that from? Say my name. Say my oh, name. Right. <laughs> um, Probably because he's talking. He's like muttering at the, his. Oh no! It's of lots. Of, it's lots of say my name. Yeah. Over and over again. Right. Yes, of course. Yeah, That's yeah. his big thing. Yeah, he very casually like goes through the whole thing again and brings this yep. one back to life. Yep. And that works. That works fine, even though he's doing it really quick. Yeah, you know, totally then. down with that one as well. Even though the other one was a mistake and, and terrible and shouldn't have done it. Yeah, but then when it's his, when it's somebody he cares about, yeah. as opposed to which again just underlines how little he thinks about the, his creature. Yep. That he never gave a name. Oh, I don't know why that's the sad bit to me. I'm, I think names are important though. Well, I think it's because this is a problem with the film that the the creature is the is the is the yeah. hero. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> the film doesn't realise that. No, no. The makeup here is terrible, great, and terrible, gruesome, and really nicely done. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter, they've managed to make her look awful. Congratulations. Oh, the monster makeup's really good. It's I think, really great. For, for both of them, actually. Yeah, for, yeah. For De Niro and Bonham Carter, there's some good work with the prosthetics and things. Yeah, and you had um, Robert De Niro studying with, or studying, stroke victims to find out how to move and how to speak. With bits of yeah. your face paralysed and, yeah. and and they've made it look like one of his eyes is higher up than the other. It's quite fa- yeah. quite fascinating. I don't yeah. know how they've done that, really. But hers is particularly nasty because hers is very uh, chewy. Still fresh. Yes. Um, still dancing with a corpse, though, mate. You know, why, 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 why? Why is written so many times. <laughs> so, dancing around with a corpse, there's a lot of this thing where, like, I don't know, you you and your sibling get a new puppy and you see how which one of you it loves more so you just both stand either side of it and call its name poor yeah. thing yeah uh, you know and oh yeah my note is cucked by his own hideous creation <laughs> <laughs> because not unreasonably 
the the creature turns up and says like oh you wouldn't you wouldn't do one for me but you'll do what you know but you'll do it for yourself well he sort of says this one's perfect this one's perfect she's so beautiful i love her yeah uh and then it looks like they're going to rip her apart and in my head i was like are they actually going to just tear her they could have done it. that would have been actually better i mean it would have been awful but it would have been a better film but it would yeah than her going blah blah and then (laughs) setting fire to herself like and this all happens re- like yeah. we rush through it right. Actually, we probably spent more time on it than the film does. This all happens very very quickly. Yeah. Like to the detriment of all sense. Which and is, you said that this was Kenneth's idea. It was. He wrote this in. He was told not to. He wrote it louder. Um, why 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 Inferno Bride? Why CGI? Why does the Inferno Bride explode? Why know. is anything? It's a very it's very visually impressive. It's very striking. The the firewalk yeah but again it is as if she's in a petrol stoked stroke <laughs> petrol soaked tinder house where everything just goes up and yeah, there's no need for it on any level it's such a ridiculous thing um and then we flash back to him as a slightly older slightly better traveled man who's been wandering around the north in inverted commas yeah. looking for oh yes he's his so this creature is, this entire film that we've seen has been his narration to the strangely accented captain yes that he found up north yes yes so we're flashing back to him and all things considered that's an absolutely tiny beard <laughs> for how long he's supposed to have been maybe he was shaving maybe. every day but... yeah yeah but i mean it doesn't seem like he had much spare time for this sort of business no exactly and then he died of of uh, of storytelling. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was very tired. <laughs> right. He was very tired, and he just, he just, he just keeled over. Right. Just so, yeah. Yeah, so and then sort of narratively dissatisfying as well. And just as I think some more of the crew burst in and said, like, "What was, what was that all about?" And he's yeah. like, oh, it's a, He was mad. Probably it was a weird story. It probably can't be true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, oh yes, no, because because then, then they hear a noise in the cabin and. The creature's there, is that right? Yeah. And they all realise he must be the creature from... The story. The story. Even though only one of them heard the story, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they're not bothered by his, like, repulsive form. No. Which is nice. I also wondered if they'd picked a very beautiful cast so the monster looks more hideous. Mm -hmm. They -hmm. keep everybody quite, I don't know, surprisingly finely tuned considering where they are and what's happening. (laughs) But they have been sort of scuppered. They're on the ice. They're, They're frozen in. Yes. Until... Something question mark releases them and they throw him on the ice. Well, yes, they're doing a funeral service for uh, young Frankenstein. Yes, and I, I really like. Again, I've said it lots of times how I enjoy De Niro's performance, but again, he really sells. Yeah, like they say, "Why do you weep?" And he says, "He was my father." Yeah, who are you? He never gave me a name. You know. But yes, then the the the, the ship is released. And yes. um, and they 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 it's interesting that they do say to the creature you know come come with us and he says I am done with men, and then yeah and then takes the magic torch that that no ice or water can put that's out that's right and then creates the origins of Burning Man and yeah immolates himself which gives him the sort of heroic ending and the power of death yeah which should belong to Victor I suppose my ending thought is that it's terrible. <laughs> my ending thought is that there was no need for all that fire and I feel like they had a pyrotechnic budget that he kind of remembered at the end of the film yeah it's 
I wanted to love it because it has so many things that I should love and yet I feel like lots of it was buried under excessive overacting. I wanted to say that Christopher Lee, who was in The Hammer Frankenstein, the Hammer Frankenstein was asked to the premiere of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein of this film. Yeah. And was asked what he thought the differences were, you know, what he thought was different between his one and the one he'd just watched. And his exact quote was about 40 years and about $40 million, (laughs) which is so amazing because obviously he's the coolest guy or was the coolest guy alive. He was wonderful. But it's such a a slick move to be like, many budget, many people. Yeah. Not very good. No, exactly. It's not saying anything good about the film. (laughs) No. But it's not saying anything bad about the film either. No. You know, it it, it is true. It's had a lot of money spent on it. Bits of it look really, really good. There's some good actors in it doing good work but the whole is less than the sum of the its parts I yes think. yeah it's a real shame it's a real shame i saw netflix you know have a look i just don't there's so much going on i don't know how it's boring but it is boring in places it really really is it needs a good edit yeah, and <laughs> you know francis ford coppola you said francis ford coppola said cut the first half hour right he was right he was right <laughs> he was right he saw very quickly that Ken was having none of it and wandered off. And was yeah. like, no, that's fine. You can have it then because you can ruin it. I'm not, I'm only putting my name to being producer. You can <laughs> do what you yeah, want. Yeah, you can direct it. You know, I mean, it's very much Ken Brenner's film. It's got his stamp all yeah. over it, for better or worse. Um, for worse. For worse. <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing next week? Is it Invisible Man next, did we say? Wolfman is next. So oh. our next one is American Werewolf in London. That'll be exciting. Absolutely. What an interesting change of pace uh, after the last couple. Yeah. That'll be good fun. That will be good fun. Um, so tune in for then. And that is next week because yeah. we are switching to weekly over spooky season. This is our creature feature season. I wanted no. another thing that rhymed with creature, but I couldn't get one. Um... Our creature feature feature. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Yes. So, thank you very much for tuning in. Let us know what you think of this film, because this one's going to split the room, I think. We'll have some people that like it, and apparently only 38% of people like it on Rotten Tomatoes. Not well reviewed, but I have, genuinely, I have heard the suggestion that this is the better one, and that Ram Stoker's director doesn't quite work for somebody that i spoke to about it right i it's interesting that you know someone that's wrong (laughs) yeah but no we're still interested in all the opinions don't pay any attention to me i want to know if you like it or hate it you can tell us by emailing hauntedpicturepalace at gmail.com or heading over to the instagram haunted underscore picture underscore palace to direct message us or leave a comment on one of the photos i am trying to keep those up to date but I have several jobs and podcasts <laughs> that I also do as well. We have a Twitter presence that is HPP Pod. Yep. And I think that's us. That's it. I mean, that's enough, isn't it? I That'll mean, if do. you can't get us on one of those, you know, really not trying. Exactly. Um, have a magical time out there, gang. Yeah. Stay safe. Watch out for Wolfmen. Uh, that's not working, is it? Watch out for Wolfmen. Is yeah. that your new? Watch out for Wolfmen. <laughs> 
Don't have nightmares. Bye. Oh, bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>